Hello, and welcome to Wise Children's Detention with me, Emma Rice. When we were planning this episode, we kept going back to our diaries and saying, was that really this year? I find it so hard to believe that Wise Children isn't quite two years old yet. At times it feels as if we're still struggling to stand, like Bambi on the ice, whilst to others it feels like we've been together for decades and are working wonders. The truth, as always, is somewhere in between. So, like one of those round-robin newsletters you get in Christmas cards, here's our roundup of Wise Children's 2019, complete with all our stumblings and all our triumphs. At the start of the year, we got straight back to work with the continuation of the tour of Wise Children. It reopened at Bristol Old Vic, and it was great to get the team back together again. How fantastic it was to finally share the work with our Southwest home crowd, and also to be wonderfully hosted by our friends at the Bristol Old Vic. Here's a little reminder. I have sharp teeth within my mouth, inside my dark red lips. During our run at the York Theatre Royal, we thrillingly had the show filmed for cinema release later in the year. It's moving and special to have such a brilliantly executed and conceived archive. The piece will stay with me always, but now I don't have to rely on the vagaries of my memory. In March, the brilliant and basically indispensable Etta Murphit had to get back to her regular home at Matthew Bourne's New Adventures. She had choreographed Wise Children, as well as creating the role of Nora Chance. We always knew it was going to happen, but I dreaded losing her wonderful authenticity and physicality from the show. For some unfathomable reason, I decided that I would step into the role. So, for the last two weeks of the tour, I became Nora, just for Richmond and Coventry. I hadn't been on stage since my time in Brief Encounter almost ten years earlier, and I was a little daunted, I can tell you. Line learning was harder than I remembered, but with repetition and a very patient Simon Baker, I managed to do it. So, I donned the black bob, slipped into the kimono and got back to it. Once the terror of remembering everything had passed, I had a great time. A stage full of wonderful friends and artists is a very special place to be. Thank you to the cast, and in particular to Gareth Snook, for looking after me so kindly. On several occasions, with a twinkly voice and a strong hand on my back, he had to say, Come on, dear, this way. Would I do it again? Never say never. 
but I think I prefer telling everyone else what to do rather than having to remember to do it myself. The school for wise children has gone from strength to strength. We ran several schools throughout the year and in April we set up camp at Bristol's Ashton Court to run a course called the Creative Toolbox. We developed the course alongside the Bristol Old Vic Theatre School, a partnership we hope will continue to grow. We also took on the incredible Helen Comerford as the school's producer. Helen has pulled together some great events over the year, including starting our new technical trainee scheme. The first trainee will start in the sound department of our next production, Romantics Anonymous. More on that show later. Meanwhile, we were getting our new production ready. Mallory Towers. This time, we weren't just making a show, we were also building a theatre. It was a crazy and ambitious idea, but me and the Wise Children team were determined to give Bristol an extraordinary and surprising event over the summer holidays. We took over the passenger shed at Bristol Temple Mead Station, and in it we built an auditorium, a bar, a box office, along with all the other things you need to actually put on a show. Lighting, video and sound systems, dressing rooms and wardrobe kit, not to mention our magnificent set by designer Les Brotherston. So, whilst I was in blissful rehearsals, my brilliant team at Wise Children HQ and our production manager, Kath Bates, were frantically sending back and forth messages about seating angles, bar layouts and structural nightmares on the group WhatsApp. Here's my wonderful executive producer, Poppy Keeling, talking about the process. This is probably one of the stumbling moments. So, top five obstacles. The first one would probably be the fact that this building has been owned and managed by lots of different people over the years. And over the years, it's sort of lots of paperwork about it. It's been lost, lots of knowledge about it's been lost. And so it turned out quite late on in the process um, that we didn't really know whether the floor was actually safe to take the huge installation you know the massive seating rake and the truss and the stage and the 400 people that we were planning to to bring in and we sort of thought it probably was because it looks like it is but we couldn't find any paperwork that said it was and that was an absolute shocker because at some yeah at some point we were sort of considering whether we were going to have to get surveyors in to survey this you know ancient building which we any and vast expense that would have been um, so that's a massive obstacle that is a massive and just obstacle. to paint a picture for those listening so the passenger shared um was a a a place that trains came into with platforms on either side yeah. and what became clear is that the platform sides are load bearing but there's yeah. a centre bit where the train would have been yeah. that we didn't know was load bearing yeah. and when you're and getting nobody seemed to know nobody knows it's a massive obstacle yes and I will make probably make your hair stand on end when I say that we only got the certificate so actually eventually someone did dig out the right certificate it did turn out to be out of date so it had to be renewed so then of course we were just like and 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 the time is ticking you know the weird thing about making theatre is that you put the show on sale and then leave it on sale for a bit and then and then you you know you you go into rehearsals four weeks before it actually opens so the the clock is constantly ticking Um, and so the sort of horrifying bit was that we actually only got the sign off on the floor two weeks before we loaded in or I may even have been one I don't think I did know that I know I don't think I oh, told you oh poppy but that was absolutely terrifying we opened our venue and our show just in time for the hottest day of the year 
In fact, it might have been the hottest day in history. It certainly felt like it. So, in a sweltering passenger shed in Bristol, giving away free fans to our unwavering audience, Mallory Towers was born. Our school, is it what you imagined? There's more. My heart is racing, but I don't know why. It's so big. I shall never, never be able to find my way around. You will, Mary Lou. We all will. Look at the front door. It looks just like a castle entrance. I feel like a fairy queen climbing up all those steps. And I shall feel like the luckiest girl on the planet. Good evening, ladies. Good Good evening, Miss Grayling. Welcome to Mallory Towers. It's hard to imagine when everything is so strange and new, but one day you will leave this school and go out into the world as young women. I do not count as our successes those who have won scholarships and passed exams, though these are good things to do. I count as our successes those who learn to be good-hearted and kind, sensible and trustable, good, sound women the world can lean on. Good, sound women the world can lean on. You are a family now and you will make your own future. Think deeply about the friends you choose and the decisions you take, for you are lucky girls to have the chance to live and learn at Mallory Towers. sending me to finishing school in Switzerland. Now, off to your dormitory and get some sleep. You have a big day and even bigger years ahead. You must make Mallory Towers, your parents and the planet proud. Miss Grayling was voiced by Sheila Hancock. And yes, the animation was actually me. Les Brotherston dressed me up and Simon Baker hastily constructed a green screen studio in a spare room at the rehearsal space and Miss Grayling was born. When our friends from the Enid Blyton estate came to see the show, they asked if I had modelled Miss Grayling on Enid herself. I have so many brilliant memories of making that show. What an inspirational cast of marvellous young artists it was. I laughed lots and learnt lots as we made Mallory Towers our own creating a mini-world order that chimed with both the old and the new. Thank you. And don't worry if you missed it or want to see it again. It's back on the road next year, so check out our website for dates. After the passenger shed, Mallory Towers went out on the road, 
whilst I headed up to London to start rehearsing Orpheus in the Underworld at the English National Opera. What a unique and crazy experience that was. I loved being surrounded by such talent and such joyous music. But to be honest, I'm not sure Opera and I are going to be lifelong friends. I met some fantastic people and truly value the adventure we went on, but was delighted to get back to my first love, theatre. I started working in earnest on our new show for 2020, Wuthering Heights at the National Theatre. I'm honoured and excited to be returning to the National, this time with wise children. It feels like a huge vote of confidence to put so much trust in us, and I can't thank them enough. And to do it with such an epic and relevant story is just the cherry on the top. I can't tell you too much about Wuthering Heights. I want to keep some surprises back. I can tell you that we're almost fully cast, that we have a sensational creative team in place, and that the first draft of the rehearsal script is 75% there. It really is a big book, and it takes a lot of time to wrestle it into a theatre form. To get everyone dreaming and pulling in the same direction, I took the creative team on a school trip to Pondon Hall on the Yorkshire Moors, This is the house that inspired Emily Bronte to create Thrushcross Grange and Wuthering Heights in the book. I'd been there earlier in the year on my own to start thinking about the world of the play and wanted to share the brutal wonder of the moors with the rest of the team. Here's me with my fluffy mic trying to record myself in the Yorkshire elements. (laughs) So the weather's coming in quite harsh now. I'm getting beaten by the sleet. I was going to try and make it up to Pond and Kirk where I was yesterday, but this is feeling pretty exposed to me. (laughs) Soft as flannel, I reckon I am, not hard as nails. (sighs) But it's taking my breath away, literally and metaphorically. It does make you want to run. It does make you want to shout because nobody would hear and the elation of that. I am loving thinking about Heathcliff and Cathy, feral spirit filled with joy and rage and emotions unnamed rolling in this elemental landscape angry landscape so one of my jobs is to find the love see if there's love in there see what it means why do i want to tell it at this time because my god we need to find the love at the moment all the respect, all the kindness, maybe love's too big a word. Simple care would do me at the moment. Simple care. I am the mole, ravaged by the stabbing rain, by the rascal sun, tormenting but That was a really sneak preview of Wuthering Heights. We did a workshop at the National Theatre Studio and there's a little taster of where we're going to take the world of the moor. 
It was both moving and fascinating to be in the house where the Brontes used to visit and play, and to look through the window where Lockwood sees Cathy's ghost. The Brontes suddenly felt very close, very present, as if we weren't historically so far apart at all. In this potent environment, the team and I read through the first draft of the play and started plotting. As if the year hadn't been packed full enough, in December we started rehearsing our revival of Romantics Anonymous. This is the perfect champagne bubble of a musical that I made as my last show at the Globe. Quite how we managed to make such a special show in those circumstances remains a mystery, but it's probably a testament to the talents of those involved, and a testament to hope, and a testament to endurance, and of course to love. Romantics is a beauty of a show. Delicate, simple and tenderly relatable. It's about confidence or the lack of it. It's about love and the fear of disappointment. It's about our relationship to our parents and it uses the making of chocolate to guide us through. The careful preparation, the dutiful obeying of the rules until it's exactly the right time to break those very same rules. Chocolate is the creation of something magical to please and to delight others. The making of chocolate is not unlike the making of a show. It takes great care, skill and time. You also have to break a few rules every now and then. Romantics has one of the best creative teams in the business. Michael Kuman and Chris Diamond are two American musical theatre writers from the old and new school. In another era, they would have been working out of an office in Tin Pan Alley on 28th Street in New York, next door to Irving Berlin and across the hall from George Gershwin. Michael and Chris have the DNA of musicals in their blood and I love working with them and learning from them. Alongside them, I have my old friend Nigel Lilly, musical theatre MD extraordinaire. We first met on Umbrellas of Cherbourg several years ago and I'm delighted to be back in the rehearsal room with him. He's a master of his craft. I also have the orchestrator, Simon Hale. Now, the orchestrator's job is to translate Michael and Chris's piano and vocal score into a full orchestration for the whole orchestra to play. Simon is a genius. You will have heard his work as he's worked with everyone from Bjork to Take That. This team not only love a musical, but deeply understand what they are and how they work. They also know when to break the rules and at exactly the right point. All these new roles to describe to you. Feels like we might need another series of podcasts. Here's a clip from the original show with the original company recorded at the Globe. Just a humble bean Its beauty lies untapped, unseen All the flavors locked inside, it's hiding down below. Safely out of sight, crack the shells like so. Stir the beans and gently blow. Watch the husks take flight. Chocolate brings the beautiful to light. When it's just right Next you slowly grind Till the cocoa's been refined Sure it takes forever 
But with chocolate, haste makes waste. So you're up all night, sneak a little taste. And the world is soon erased, lost in sheer delight. Chocolate makes the darkness somehow bright when it's just right. Every step precision, measured and controlled, liquid gold Just a treat, though it's truly bittersweet. Bitterness is what it takes to make the taste complete. Dark or milk or white, it may not be like life, but then again, in light, chocolate holds the world in. I was also very proud to have been awarded an Outstanding Contribution Award at the UK Theatre Awards in October. My dear friend and colleague Vicky Mortimer presented it and it was one of the proudest moments of my life. To celebrate it and to recognise the contributions of the people I've been lucky enough to work with over the years, we created a series of extended podcasts, more like radio shows, We emailed everyone we could think of and asked them to request a record that somehow connects us. The Outstanding Connections podcast was born. There's a link to them on our website, and here's a clip. Hello, this is Katie Mary Owen calling in to request the song Born to be Wild by Canadian rock band Steppenwolf. The significance of this song is that it began the show 946, The Amazing Story of Adolphus Tips, which we toured around the UK and America. My favourite memory from this time is when we were rehearsing in Cornwall, Emma said to us one day, look, we're all going to be flown to the Latitude Music Festival in Suffolk and we're going to perform an extract from the play and we're going to camp overnight. Now, if there's one word that's going to induce a wild, raw panic in me, it's camping. It ignites all of my terribly debilitating hygiene OCDs. I can't think of anything I'd less like to do than camp. Billy, no fun, but there you are. Um, So Emma says to me, don't worry, you're not going to be in a tank, Katie. We're going to give you a wooden hut. It's glamping, not camping, glamping. So clearly, wooden hut was a euphemism for child's Wendy house. Now, I'm a petite woman. I'm five foot tall and I have the frame of a prepubescent chorister. But 
I felt like Moby Dick trying to squeeze myself into this tiny cabin of mirth, which to my horror had a soil floor. A soil floor. At least with a tent as a layer of canvas between you and the raw earth. But this was just earth. And it was covered in miscellaneous bits. I couldn't tell you what those bits were. Leaves, twigs, twine, bird excrement, that sort of thing. So I said to Emma, look, I'm going to have to have a shower in the morning. And she said, don't be silly, Katie. No one's having a shower in the morning. It's just one day. We're all just going to stay dirty and deal with it, you know. And I said, not in your life. I'm going to have to have a shower. So after a sleepless night, I set the alarm for 6am and I went down to the shower cubicles, which are like portaloos, but instead of a urinal, they just have a shower head. And I was delighted to discover that nobody was there. And I began to wash, wash all of that cack and pup off my body. Um, and just as I was finishing up, a lady who'd clearly been enjoying herself and the various intoxicants of the Latitude Festival got into the cabin next to me and proceeded to vomit this thick red wine gloop which spilled from her little cubicle down into my cubicle and around my feet and ankles. I made my way back to my Wendy house and upon arrival I'm now covered in soil, leaves, vomit, twig and twine, berries... (laughs) Not not berries, but you know what I mean. You get the idea. And I started to cry. And Emma knocked on the door of my Wendy house and she looked at me and she said, Katie, do you need me to carry you? And I said, yes. Yes, Emma, I, I need you to carry me. And I feel that's the perfect analogy for our working relationship. She carries me. That was my friend and muse, Katie Owen. Thanks, Katie. So, 2020 is set to be another bumper year. We've got Romantics opening in Bristol in January, and then we send it off to North America in the spring. Mallory Towers heads back out on tour in March, and Wuthering Heights opens at the National in September. And we're not even two years old until April. I hope to see you somewhere along the way. Stay in touch and see you soon. I'll leave you with one last glorious clip from Romantics Anonymous. Thanks, Simon, for all your hard work creating these podcasts and Happy New Year to all. I'm somewhat reserved. I can't tell you why. You say emotif. Well, I'm shy. I'm not good with words. I'm just not equipped Perhaps I'm afraid And so I stay tight-lipped But I could be something to see If she loved me In matters of love I'm sure you all know Well, I'm burning up can't let it show This woman I found So gifted and smart And I want to try To open up my heart Oh, what a romantic I'd be If she 
I'm not the man who women feel secure about I'm not intuitive or clever But if there's one thing that I'm sure about It's that we could make chocolate forever So, Angelique, if I may reveal, for you I will try to face these things I feel. Yes, what a romantic I'll be if you love me.